Hello, welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, hosted by me, Jack Perks. Professionally, I'm a wildlife cameraman, but I dabble in podcasting, and each Tuesday we release an episode as I have a chat with scientists, artists, filmmakers, and passionate people all about nature in a light-hearted and certainly not serious way. Hello, how are we all doing? Well, today I've got Ashley Whiffin on the podcast. She works at the National Museum's Collection Centre in Edinburgh and predominantly with entomology. So it's safe to say that Ash is a little bit obsessed with all things invertebrate and particularly beetles. And that's what we're mainly concentrating on today. There are thousands of species of beetle in the UK and it's a subject that I painfully know very little about. So I was really excited to talk to Ash and find out more about this subject. Now, before we get on with the chat, we're going to head over to buymeacoffee.com. This is where you, the listener, can donate to help the podcast going. We're currently trying to raise £1,000 so that that can send me all around the UK and meet people to do in-person podcasts. I think they work so much better when you can meet them in person. We were actually hoping to do this one uh, in person. I was going to meet Ashley in Edinburgh, uh, but it didn't work out in the end. So if you can donate, that'd be amazing. And you can do that via the link below. If you leave a comment, we'll also read that out. So this week we've got Dave who bought two coffees and his comment was really enjoying the podcast at the moment. Have a brew or two on me. Please consider doing one with Rick Minter of Big Cat Conservations would make a really interesting listen, uh, which I've replied to Dave and said, well, funny enough, we already have. <laughs> that was episode 25. So if you're into your UK big cats, then we have already actually covered that topic. So if you want to support the podcast, you want to leave a message and for us to read it out, please do so. Let's get on with today's podcast. Now, what Ashley doesn't know about beetles ain't worth knowing. She's a fountain of knowledge and I learned so much having a conversation with her. Here's our chat. Well, welcome to the podcast, Ash. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on, Jack. No, I've been wanting to try and get you on for ages. So it's nice to, to find an excuse and, and have a waffle about beetles and bugs and all the other yeah. things about a backbone. So for the listeners, where where are you? Because obviously I can see where you are, but whereabouts are you? <laughs> I'm in Edinburgh at the National Museum's Collection Centre. So uh, this is our kind of, I don't want to say storage facility. It's like a research centre, but it has several buildings that look a little bit like warehouses from the outside. But inside, there are these specially, specially designed buildings to house our precious collections. So I'm in the invertebrate dry store right now. So what you're seeing is rows and rows of compactors full of green metal cabinets, which contain thousands of drawers of insect specimens. You've got the turny wheel, a very technical terms, Those, the turny yeah. wheel thing like you see in old <laughs> libraries and stuff, haven't you? That's the ones, yeah. Yeah, that's epic. So what does then, I've got to try and say this right now, etymological, <laughs> Fucking hell. Etymological genetic collection curator. Do I've butchered oh. that. What what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, my title's changed recently. So oh, okay, go on then. What's your a, title? a project role at the moment. So for, well, for about five years I was assistant curator of entomology. So that was, you know, much easier to say. Yeah. But now I am the Pelham Clinton Entomology Genetic Collections Curator. Ah. Pelham Clinton being a former curator here who's on his, upon his passing, his mother bequested a sum of money um, in his honour to the museum to like fund future curation here. 
So um, hence the the name in the title. And then my focus now, rather than just, you know, pinned, traditional pinned insect collections and wet collections, is now thinking about how we can preserve our insect specimens in the best possible way to suit all methods of use. So we've got much higher demand for using specimens for genetic purposes, looking at, you know, molecular techniques. So we need to make sure that the DNA preservation is of a good standard. So there's other ways of doing this, doing things like really, really cold, minus 80 freezers and in absolute ethanol. So this is a new thing for us and it's my kind of job to explore the options and set a new workflow. Yeah, wow. So when you're preparing all these specimens, then obviously there's the stuff that you do for the public, but that's not necessarily the best way, as you say, to collect data from them then. When you've got them on yeah. just like just pinned on a board, you're losing information, are you? You're losing genetic samples and whatnot yeah i mean you know dna degrades over time in in different conditions moisture is definitely Mm. a problem there but actually a lot of researchers are able to get dna from our dry pinned collections now the techniques are constantly advancing so you know there are even some um, techniques that are non-destructive as well because quite often what researchers will do is they'll um, request leg samples from our specimens insects have got six legs so we are if the uh, the researchers of sound um you know kind of if the proposal is good we do allow that kind of sampling but who knows what the techniques will be like in the future the display specimens is a kind of different thing so actually we don't tend to put any research specimens on display because they have that scientific value so the things that go on display are those that are maybe reared specimens they might be specimens that don't have any data anyway because when stuff goes on display in public galleries it's kind of sacrificial yeah it's really vulnerable to physical damage to light damage to pests like clothes moths carpet beetles um i was going to ask you about those yeah do you have a problem with because obviously i know you love your beetles but is it these (laughs) yeah what what happens is it um is that the name? Is it Domestos beetles? Is that another one? Domestids, that... yeah. Domestids. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Domestos. That's washing up lips, isn't it? Um, so, um, <laughs> toilet cleaner. Yeah, toilet cleaner. That's it, yes. Um, so, but with, so when you get these carpet beetles, like, because I know they can be a problem in museums, like, what do you yeah. do? Is there a crisis of ethics with you because you love your beetles or are they got to go? It is a hard one. I do <laughs> love my beetles and I love all beetles and mm. I appreciate domestics, the carpet beetles. Yeah. They're very successful. They're very, very good at what they do. They, you know, skilled in locating those organic materials, whether that's your carpets or your, you know, your precious woolen jumpers or your taxidermy pieces or insect collections. They are great at hunting those things out and devouring them. Uh, and so our, our collections are this like all oh, you can eat buffet if these things can get in and get to them. So fortunately, I mean, they're the enemy, but fortunately, we don't have any problems here at present, touch wood, um, <laughs> because of these buildings. So what we're doing in these spaces is controlling the environment. So we're making sure that the humidity and temperature are such that it's not the kind of place that these beetles would thrive. Oh, okay. So that's one thing. And then all the specimens we keep inside the drawers, like thing. Oh, one up to you, Jack. Oh, wow. So they're pretty airtight. And yeah. then each drawer, each wooden door, uh, each wooden drawer has got a glass top, so you can look into it actually with the, without even taking the lid off. Okay. Um, each drawer lives within a cabinet, so that's kind of like another barrier method. And then we've got this like nice um, environmental control as well. And then anything that's like new to the collection, whether that's field collected material, a donation from a collector, or maybe some specimens that have been out on research zone, everything has to come back through the deep freeze okay. to you know get rid of any potential hitchhikers. 
the, those beetles are the enemy, but we do our damnedest to try and keep them. Could you not get a load of uh, pseudo scorpions? Could you just not release like hundreds of those in <laughs> An there? army? Yeah. The thing is, like, we there are biological con- control options. Um, so for clothes moths, even there's little tiny parasitic wasps that you can release. Um, oh, really? Oh, wow. But you've got to think about all those things are going to die in this trap, in this enclosed space yeah, eventually. Yeah. And what we don't want is any dead insects lying around in you know little nooks and crannies which could then be food for these things if they ever did get it. Of course, yeah, that makes that makes sense. I've never it's seen... It's all a... a juggling act here. Yeah, I definitely. I'd love to see a pseudo-scorpion. That is one of my top... I know it's not I know it's not a beetle, but I'd. Um, that's up there for me. I'd love to see. I've probably yeah. got one in my office if I looked hard enough. Be me some... too, actually. I, I haven't seen a live one. I've only seen preserved ones. So yeah, yeah, that would be... Maybe that can one. be our mission for 2023. Yeah, let's do it. I would love to see one. Um, so how, how did you end up there then? How did you get, because you're not from, you know, by the by my keen ear with an accent, you're not from Edinburgh. So how did you end up working there? Oh, what do you mean, Max? <laughs> of course. I, yeah. I mildly shat my, myself then, because I thought you were going to say, actually, I've got a very <laughs> soft Edinburgh accent. Oh, God, there we go. Get cancelled already. I am already. a Norwegian, but no, I, okay. um, I was born and raised in the south of England. So okay. um, I moved up to Edinburgh about eight, nine years ago for a job at Edinburgh University working on burying beetles so my background is actually forensic science I watched way too much CSI when I was a teenager (laughs) big crush on Gil Grissom not really but um I did watch a lot of that and we were fortunate that we have a friend of the family who's a fingerprint expert and she took me into work at Surrey Police Headquarters one day and got to see behind the scenes like how everything works and I was hooked. So I went and studied that at university, went to the University of Derby. Loved it there, had a brilliant time. But my hopes of being a crime scene officer were quickly squished when I discovered forensic entomology. So I had a, had a lecture in my second year on how insects can be used to solve crime. And it just completely turned my head. Um, and I wanted to focus all my attention on that. So like for my final project to put a bunch of dead rabbits out and I monitored all the different insects that were attracted to these rotting corpses at the different stages of decay really grotty stuff like my <laughs> friends were not impressed by my research it's quite a hobby um, it, yeah <laughs> um, and I actually gave up part of my summer to kind of stick around at the uni and like do more of this stuff as well I really liked it um, so I applied to do a master's in entomology and left the forensics behind and then through that I was really lucky that some of the guest lecturers on my course were from the Natural History Museum and I kind of begged some of them to let me volunteer after my master's did some volunteering in London um, and then a job came up in Edinburgh you know there's there's not that many paid jobs in entomology funny funny enough eh? <laughs> and it was on burying beetles and I'd met these burying beetles through the forensic stuff I'd done because they're attracted to dead animals dead bodies and thought yeah that'd be pretty cool so moved up to Edinburgh for that and I worked as a research technician for a year, but I was aware of the collection here and I came in and I kind of asked if I could volunteer on the side. And I was so lucky. I was so, so lucky, dude, because there was a job that just was there, the right place, the right time. And I was very enthusiastic and had a, a bit of collections experience, not that much. But yeah, I helped move the collections into to the current building from the building that they were in. And then I got a couple more temporary contracts after that and then secured a permanent position. That's so good. So basically, if you're driving along, uh, say, whatever road you're on, and you see a, a deer at the side of the road, there's a good chance then that that's going to be riddled with 
different beetles and and stuff in inside of that yeah yeah really? it depends on time of year so okay. we're in winter at the moment and most of these beetles will not be active at the moment occasionally with mild spells they might come out it's mm. incredibly mild today isn't it yeah peak peak time is really kind of march through till september for the beetles okay. that i'm interested in and if anyone's not familiar with burying beetles i probably need to give a a little description of that amazing behavior so burying beetles are my favorite beetles because of their incredible behavior so they bury small carcasses such as dead birds dead mice whatever they can find really and they work together male and female to excavate soil from under the corpse slowly sinking it down into the ground covering it over and they're doing all that to kind of conceal it keep this resource to themselves and create a lovely little nursery underground so male and female prepare Sweet. the carcass they roll it into a little ball um, they've got a anal and oral secretions that they coat the carcass in which actually acts as a preservative and actually some more recent research has shown that it acts as a deterrent as well something some chemical in there is deterring other burying beetle couples uh, from oh, them okay. trying to come and steal the resource uh, which is amazing and then they will pre-digest the rotting flesh and regurgitate to the offspring so it's quite it's quite for an insect then there's quite a lot of parental care there then it's not just lay the eggs and fuck off it's they're actually kind of actively looking after this and larvae i suppose it'd be wouldn't it yeah 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 Yeah, yeah. it's amazing it is incredibly rare within insects and it's even rarer that it's by parental care so it's both male and female do this behavior it's a shared responsibility yeah that's incredible They're very special for that and then of course i was i was introduced to them because of that forensic application as well so if you had a human body uh, you'd still get the same insects attracted to it. Um, well, they're not specialists then, then. They're not like you don't get beetles where some of these carrion beetles were like, they only eat a certain kind of bird or whatever. They're just whatever's going there, they're going to feed on it. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of, it is about size. So there's okay. some beetles, you know, there's a bit of a um, kind of scale. You've got some of the most common species are quite small. We're talking, you know, like seven to 10 millimeters in size or something. Whereas the larger of the species, the undertaker, it's an all big, all black one. Um, that's kind of double the size and it can go or it will try to go for slightly larger corpses but we're not talking like a whole badger here they're never going to be no. able to bury like no big. no that'd be impressive wouldn't it, <laughs> it would. <laughs> but yeah so they're, they're not really that fussy and it's such a limited resource so uh, they kind of have to kind of go for whatever's there and um, so yeah if it was a human body they're going to use it in the same way they don't always bury if it's too large to bury they'll kind of work on that soil carcass interface and maybe take small chunks of flesh off but they'd act as evidence so yeah if there is a murder investigation or something and there's any insect remains or live insects on the body they that will be used as evidence and then can then be used to kind of effectively build a timeline well beetles there's slightly less research it's something that's being um looked into much more but typically flies you blow flies They've been studied so well that we know how long that they take to develop at certain temperatures and environmental conditions. So you can then track back and work out how long it's been since death. And then also if it's kind of lo- it's like more advanced decay, sorry, I hope nobody's eating their lunch whilst listening to this, but um, <laughs> if, if it's more advanced, then you can even use a composition of different species that are present on the corpse because that's indicative of the kind of time period as well. Some... You've got, they've all got little different niches that they occupy. So some beetles prefer it when it's really juicy and grotty and others will prefer, prefer to feed on the dry stages and like get rid of all that hair and skin and everything else. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going on here. These 
beetles, these blowflies and everything. They're part of nature's kind of recycling crew. And they are there to just absolutely strip that carcass, recycle all that nutrients and yeah, tidy, tidy up the environment for us. Well, we had um, Peter Cairns on, well, by the time this has been out, he'll have been on anyway, but he was talking about lynx reintroduction. And obviously one of the big things that we've lost in the UK is large predators. And Mm. a lot of those large predators would have left lots of carcasses, which would be beneficial for beetles. And that's one thing we don't have enough, apart from roadkill, really. It's not very often you stumble across a big dead animal. You know, whenever Mm. you do a nature walk, how often do you find a carcass of something significant? It's quite, because we clear away farmyard animals and whatnot. So in terms of a a big dead wild animal, it's quite unusual in the UK really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it is a problem. Yeah, like you say, roadkill is the main one, and that's really sad to see. Yeah, sad to see, but then also I do utilise those opportunities. So yeah. if I see it, I'm like, stop the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to check that one. So those of us brakes. that do this get um, sometimes we get nicknamed serial flippers because we're constantly flipping carcasses. But yeah, there are there is a lot of research into this. I think in um, Scandinavia, there's been several projects where they have been leaving out large carrying to monitor the effect on biodiversity and it's it's an element that we are losing and it's having cascading impacts so actually to look into this i kind of had this project a few years back to set up a citizen science thing specifically on carrion beetles because i really wanted to collect more data on this but i couldn't just go up and down the country myself flipping every single dead animal i found i would have no time to do anything else um <laughs> But um, so I thought, what what better what better thing to do than to kind of make this a citizen science project, community science project, and see if there's any other strange folk out there that want to record carrion beetles. And actually, I've been amazed. There's been so many people that have been getting involved with it. It's been brilliant. So yeah, it's called the Silphidy Recording Scheme. Uh, we just encourage people to record their observations of these beetles out and about in the wild. Are you still after people are... to do that? yeah absolutely yeah. okay this we'll chuck a link in the thing. description if anyone's keen to flip a dead badger then they can join <laughs> in and help please yeah please I'll, I'll send you a link we've got um yeah a couple of social media accounts and a website with lots of identification resources to help people out um, and I'm always happy for people to get in touch if they've got any questions but yeah these um these beetles fortunately are some of them attracted to light as well so for people that run moth traps that's another way of recording these beetles you don't have to get all grotty and okay. bait out in your garden and stuff like that so um it has been it's been really great to see people getting involved with it and it actually helped enable us to publish a book you know like one of those traditional atlases that you know yeah. related dots on maps to show you where species are found but the, you know, you know, what I wanted to find out is if these species are declining. Uh, I wanted to see if there was changes in their ranges or distributions. So um, that that side of things we're still looking into. But um, yeah, we've now got that baseline data. Because um, so they must really be heavily under-recorded. It's not the sort they of thing, I'd say, apart from the odd moth trap or if you are really keen looking on these corpses, you're probably not going to come across them, are you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so just raising general awareness and appreciation for yeah. these wonderful beetles has been a bit of a goal of mine. So I couldn't not sneak them in today whilst talking to you. No, no, no. I'd be disappointed if you didn't. I've never, I've never actually seen one. I've, 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 to my <gasps> shame, to my absolute shame, I would like to at some point. Maybe I do need to. I, live, I don't live too far from the A1. There's always a flattened muntjac at the side of the road, so I might have to Aww. stop one day and have a little look and and see. Drag what one find. off. Drag one off into the verge. Um, I'd yeah, quite like the skull because I've it, got into like 
skulls and things at the minute for the office. So I, I need to keep a hat. I'm going to look absolutely crazy hacking a deer's head off at the side of the road. But I do want a muntjac skull anyway. <laughs> so why I'm doing that, I might as well have a look for beetles. Why not? I think absolutely. if you're going, you know, if you're going to dip your toe in, you might as well jump in and go full full yeah. with it. <laughs> absolutely. And um, what do your friends and families think of what you do? Uh, it's I guess it's kind of pretty normal to them now because it's been a while. But yeah. at first. Uh, there was a definitely the ick factor for some yeah. of them uh, the thing that's most frustrating for people is just how long I take when we're out on a walk <laughs> you, you'll know this yourself as well yeah. but like it's very frustrating for um, non-nature nerds or even people that have an appreciation but just don't want to spend 20 minutes whilst you photograph a beetle yeah. um, on, on your hands and knees um so they're, they're, they kind of make allowances for me now but it's also enabled a lot of conversations and I've had relatives and friends that have I've watched them like grow and com- like completely change their minds about certain things and certain insect groups so it's a real privilege to kind of be able to share that yeah. passion with people and it's I like- you know get to use them as guinea pigs all the time as well it's like wearing uh, a, a pair of glasses that only you can see certain things because it's amazing how you'll be walking with mm. someone who maybe isn't in our world and you'll go, oh, that's a such and such beetle or such and such bird. And I'm like, oh, how did you know that? How did you spot that? And then over time, you kind of infect them. And then they'll, <laughs> infect them, yeah, that's they'll, it. Just, they'll just come out with something. They'll go, oh, there's a, a little owl over there or whatever. And you think, oh, I didn't think you'd know what that is. So it does kind of, it's a good thing, I think, to kind of get them, yeah. get them on board, get them on the team yeah it's lovely if you can um how do you prepare an insect for the museum then i know there's lots of different mm. um lots of different ways of doing it but with you know a- with animals with a with a spine and, a- and and bones obviously it's a little bit i, don't, I was going to say easier not necessarily easier but you just put the bones together but insects don't have bones in the way that we do or don't have any it's an exoskeleton not bone is it yeah them. um so how do you how do you kind of sort all that out yeah, I'd argue, and I think maybe the vertebrate curators as well would argue that it's probably easier to prepare. Oh, is it? Insects. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, I wouldn't want to articulate a skeleton. No. Because no, I don't know where short. any of the bones go, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually quicker um, to prepare a, a beetle. Um, so there are different methods, and it depends on your insect group. So, um, okay. If you take one of your carrying one, beetles. Yeah. Well, firstly, the number one thing is that with all methods they try to preserve at least one side of the insect in its entirety so to not destroy any of the characters for a whole side now there is one um, exception to this and that is butterflies and moths they get pinned straight through the center of that like the midline of the body if you imagine there's a bur line running yes um and that's because there's no there's usually no characters in that little bit there to worry about it's mostly about the wings and genitalia we can talk about genitalia later um but, <laughs> but everything else you, you pin if you're going to pin you pin to the right hand side um of okay. the body um and then you've got everything preserved on the left um but there are different methods so it kind of depends on the group whether it's a fly a beetle or wasp um and then it depends on the size as well and it also a little bit depends on the preference of the collector so okay. some people have got preferred methods um the main thing that you want to do is just make sure that the identifying characters are visible. So as long as you've done that and your specimen is kind of secure and, you know, not going to fall off um, and be damaged, then that's the main thing. But I can show you just like a few examples and I'll try okay. and describe them. 
I like the show and tell element of this. This is great. (laughs) I'm sorry for anyone who's just listening. This will go on YouTube as well. So if you want to kind of click on this. Wearing a very festive jumper today. Yeah, no, it's good. It suits you. (laughs) So here's a little tray of carrying beetles. These are not burying beetles. These are um, the kind that would just feed and breed on a carcass. Okay. Um, So you can see you've got a couple of different methods in here. Some are glued to cards and some are pinned. um, And a few... Oh, no, we haven't got any examples in here. I've got another method called card pointing. I'll try and show you a method, method of that. But the mm-hmm. older method for beetles is gluing to cards. Now, just, British just coleopterists, <laughs> yeah, British coleopterists, pretty much, you've got a bit of, you've got to make sort of the symmetry is good. Okay. But yeah, the people that study beetles, coleopterists, they, they like this technique because it is very visually appealing. It's nice. Um, but also it protects the appendages. So, You've got to imagine when you've got a dry, small beetle, those antenna and the legs are so fragile. You sometimes just got to look at them and they fall off. So if you glue them onto a car, they're nice and protected um, and they're not going to be knocked off by any, you know, if there's a neighbor that starts swiveling around, it's not going to knock it off. The ones that are pinned, you've got that disadvantage, but then you can see the underside. So if you need to see their bellies or anything for any particular reason, you can really easily. And so that is the preferred method for everywhere else it seems colleagues in in you know mainland europe in north america they take the mick out of us for carding our beetles because it <laughs> takes longer um and then we're making life harder for ourselves because we can't see the underside getting a- a- abused by other beetle collectors that's no good is we it? are yeah <laughs> so i have adopted more modern methods i think for a lot of my work mostly for efficiency as well because it's way yeah. to get a beetle but Whatever method you're doing, the most important thing is to make sure that your specimen is fully dry. So it's about leaving it out. If it's a small beetle, if it's like if it's one of these, it's going to dry within a couple of days just at room temperature. But if you've got a slightly chunkier beetle, it's got a lot more moisture in the body, a lot more fat there. So you need to dry out for longer. And we've actually got a designated drying oven for our um, insect specimens to go in. I wouldn't recommend putting them in your oven at home. No. <laughs> it's not like baking a cake. Okay. But um, yeah, just drying it out because if there was any moisture left in the body, then you risk things getting moldy. I was going to say That's what stops them like brilliant. rotting and stuff. So you just it's just drying them out basically. It's just drying them okay. out. Yeah, so because they've got that hard exoskeleton, um, you don't need to do anything to it. You don't need to put any chemicals on there yeah. or any preservatives. Um you just need to then make sure that they're safe and, uh, you know, kept away from potential pests. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's a lot simpler than I than I thought to do that. Um, how, Don't how get me wrong, your... it's fiddly. It is fiddly and you've got to have a steady hand if you're going to okay. be, you know, spreading the legs out and making it look um, nice. Yeah, you don't want a wonky beetle, do you? No. No, no one, no wants, one, no one wants that, do they? Uh, how, how many beetles have we got in the UK? Species, uh, I should species say. Not as in individuals, because that'd be a lot. It, it's a little over 4,000. Um, wow, really? A, yeah, it's a pretty good number, but actually flies are smashing us out the water. So there's over 7,000 flies. Oh, no. Um, there's actually more species of fly in the UK than there is mammals in the world. That's mad, isn't it? People forget about how cool flies are. Um, are you quite a fly aficionado as well? No, I mean, I started out with flies. <laughs> no, no. Friend, uh, <laughs> no. Um, no, they, I mean, all insects deserve a lot more. Yes, they do. Appreciation yeah, yeah. Than they Let's get. not try and start a civil war with insects. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are, we're very competitive within the entomological circles, but um, I started out with flies. I started out with the blowflies because of the flies yeah, okay. and stuff. So um, I, I appreciate them. They, they're pollinators, they're recyclers. They, they kind of do everything and they're everywhere. 
So yeah. they're pretty cool, but beetles are obviously better um, because although <laughs> there are more flies in the UK than there are beetles, in the world, there are more beetles than there are flies. Oh, okay. So we've got over 400,000 described species of beetle in the world. And there's definitely more than that. They're, those are just ones that we know about. Yeah. Um, that is crazy, so, isn't it? That's so yeah, many. Beetle diversity is awesome. And it's why I love them. They are just so incredible. They're, you know, there's such an array of different lifestyles and behaviors they're different forms like the colors shapes and structures i just love them they're amazing is there any kind of life cycle or any behavior of british beetles that stands out to you i mean i know the the, the, the kind of carrying beetles are pretty unusual is there anything that tops that or are they at the top for you no come on they're the best do you need better <laughs> than that do you really need better than that no 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 i just wondered <laughs> if you could top it that's all well i mean glowworms are pretty good aren't they um but well, they are the... a beetle aren't they i suppose yeah, yeah i always forget that are. yeah 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 they are um so i mean and yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna glow from your butt and that's to attract a mate that's pretty up there that's it yeah it, it would it would catch your attention wouldn't it if you were out <laughs> in a nightclub and yeah that was happening absolutely it would it would um, get you and their their behavior of like feeding is pretty cool as well um and it's similar to one of the carrion beetles so in the carrion beetle group you've got some that are kind of more like carrion beetle allies they aren't feeding on dead stuff but they're very closely related. Um, okay. You know, this is kind of down to morphology and, and you know, DNA side of things. But um, so there's a there's a species that we've called the common snail hunter. Um, and it's very similar to glowworms in that they both predate on snails and they both have these really narrow, skinny heads, so they can, you know, perfectly evolve to get right into the snail shell and feast on the animal within. But they're also both um, releasing a digestive enzyme. So they help break through the kind of mucus of the snail um, and it's kind of start dissolving the flesh to then slurp it all up. That's what um, they they just kind of get it into a soup and yeah. dig in. That's crazy. <laughs> they are crazy little things, aren't they? Uh, what's the, because I've heard conflicting reports on this, so maybe you can clear this up, but what's the biggest? Because I know a lot of people say stag beetle, but I think there might be one or two that could trump it or is stag beetle the biggest? In the UK? Yeah. No, stag beetle is our biggest what about um, this okay i'll throw a spanner in the works for you then what what's the there's a water beetle is it the silver great silver mm, something great, or other? great diving water beetle yeah. yeah but there's a bigger there's a there's a big one isn't there like a big silver bugger i can't remember it's i'll have to find a scientific name it's like yeah. a, it's not like the normal diving beetles that you get it it's bigger and it's sort of i'm sure it's just called the great silver diving beetle that might yeah, be I heavier think you're than right. a beetle. I think you're right it could be it could be but i don't i'll put you on the spot now and i but um <laughs> i don't i'm sure because i know some don't know people say about that's, the weight yeah okay well i suppose biggest is a, how do you classify big length weight so that's yeah that's usually length and it's usually um, okay from the kind of head to the end of the which is stag beetles I, gonna I, I don't think with stag beetles it's even accounting the mandibles oh do they not okay no i don't think so I don't know. Oh. I'm going to um, have to look this up as well. <laughs> Terrible. They, I saw my first stag beetle this year, and it was one of, oh. honestly, the highlights of my kind of wildlife career. It was just, I was just on a, I was filming fish, unsurprisingly. And um, it, was in a, it was on a fence in Southampton. And I saw it, and I thought, oh, it's, you know, some mud or something. And I got a bit closer. It's like, holy shit, that's a stag beetle. And it was just kind of slowly... Um, moving along there it was incredible absolutely incredible i was so chuffed to see that i'm a bit jealous because i haven't seen one in my adult life i grew up with them i was playing with them as kids in my grandparents garden i remember like every every summer they would yeah. be there um spring 
and we would do things like put sticks out and I remember like trying to get them to grab on to sticks and like, <laughs> them, like kind of wiggle them, wiggle them around um but you have not seen one in my adult life I'm never really not... down south at the right time no to that... make more effort that's the key, isn't it? Because obviously, I mean, I'm in I'm in the Midlands, so we don't really, as far as I'm aware, we don't get them in the Midlands. It's more kind of southeast England, isn't it? That's the hot spot mm, for them. Mm-hmm. So unless you're there at the right time, you're not gonna you're not gonna yeah. see them, are you? No. No. Get the lesser stags. I've got those in my garden. I do occasionally. Oh, yeah. If I turn over a, a stump or something, I might find find They're some of those. They're still pretty impressive. And the we've got you know um, related to those two is the tiny rhinoceros beetle that we have. Do we get those in the UK? Yeah, it's so tiny, Jack. It's like, mm, must be like a centimetre and a half or something. I did not know we got those. Wow. The males have a tiny little horn. Um, Yeah, we get them. Yeah, we get them up in Scotland as well. Oh, do you? And dung beetles. That's another thing. I was walking, my local I knew that this would come up, so I've actually got some (laughs) out. I was like, hang on a minute. This isn't the Serengeti. Why why is this dung beetle here? But (laughs) I think we've got a few as well. It's not just the one, is it? No, we have about 60 species of dung beetle that oh, we wow. get in the UK. Yeah, and it's because people think of like the rollers. They don't yeah, think it. of um, all the other species that we have. So we've got about, is it five or so species that are like the door beetles, so the kind you probably saw, so, you know, about, you know, an inch in size. Yeah, yeah, and they've got like that, that gorgeous, like purpley blue iridescence on their bellies. Um, but most of the dung beetles that we have in the UK are this kind of size. Oh, so, really tiny things, yeah. Let me go that way. <laughs> That's all right. Um, yeah, they okay. they kind of vary from being about four or five millimeters in length up to you know about ten, um, and you wouldn't notice them because they are dwellers. So they live, uh, they feed and breed all within the dung itself. Right. So um, unless you're really lucky to see one in flight, and you unless you know it's a beetle, you wouldn't probably uh, yeah. realize yeah. it either actually um yeah unless you're poking around in poo like me and my (laughs) friends do you're not gonna see these beetles um but they're incredibly important and they're also really really struggling so they're as you've probably heard they're detrimentally um affected by um the ivermectins that livestock are given so this is like an antibiotic that um is given to treat internal parasites cattle and sheep um, but it passes through into the dung and makes the dung toxic for the beetles. Um, so there's currently like no alternative to this um, unless you can afford as a farmer to bring your livestock indoors whilst they're being treated so that the dung is less accessible to the beetles. Um, but yeah, it's really bad news. Um, and so um, there's been some projects to kind of track the distributions and monitor these changes similar to what I was doing with carrying beetles and actually it's what inspired me to do the same um, and that's shown some really significant declines and even some local extinctions which is terrifying because these beetles are so important they're really really vital for healthy pastures um, if there's livestock you know they're really helping with firstly breaking down the dung yeah aerating the soil um making you know all those nutrients get back into the ground help the plants and benefit all the other things in the area but also their food for lots yeah. of farmland birds and other animals um and it's just desperately sad to see such incredible insects like underappreciated um and yeah being harmed in this way 
as you say, it's another one of those things. Unless unless you're sifting through shit, you're not you're not going to find these animals, yeah, are you? You're not going to see them. That is true. That is true. Unfortunately. So yeah, we definitely need to just be shouting about them a bit more. Make sure people are aware of of their existence, um, yeah. of their importance, and how cool they are. Yeah, and that so is that study still ongoing? They definitely found a decline in it. Then they are kind of on their way, yeah. on the way out. That's really sad that there's no, yeah. or there's not really an alternative for them. I guess it's just a a case of hopefully there's enough out there that don't get hit by this and they can, they yeah, can bounce I mean, back. It will mean that mean that you know the the more common hardier species will be the ones that remain. Right, um, it's the kind of scarcer ones that are also relying on specific types of animal dung you've got some that you know are specialists on deer dung some are specialists on rabbit dung um some that are very generalist and will go for anything i feel like you've probably already kind of answered this then but why are beetles important then oh so many different reasons jack <laughs> i mean they're doing all the things that we need right and they are not getting the glory that bees and butterflies are yeah but you know many beetles are pollinators they're actually the original pollinators they were pollinating the first flowering plants they've been doing it a lot longer um they're pollinators they're as we've discussed already they're decomposers they're recyclers and that's not just dead animals as well that's for organic plant material you know, dead wood we've got so many um, beetles that rely on dead wood um that's why it's really good to see changes in kind of uh, woodland management now that is either leaving standing wood um or allowing um, fallen trees to remain in situ as well it's really really great because we need these saprozoic species um and they you know again i hate saying it but they are food for a huge quantity of other animals um whether that's birds hedgehogs badgers you name it um they're bottom of the food chain um and that's also something that i want to touch on if that's okay yeah go for the, it the issue with collections um is a contentious one at the moment especially um obviously a lot of our collections are historic um we've got specimens in here that are over 230 years old um that we are actively collecting material as well and we have to because to study insects it's very difficult to identify many of those species we talked about four thousand british beetles um now most of those you will need to look at their genitalia and that's just a matter of fact so they aren't all big um even these ones here you know these are pretty small kind of six millimeters in size are they all different species no this no. is a tray so when we store the collections we tend to keep all of one species together so this okay. little tray is just um just one species nimbus obliteratus which is a, a dung beetle um where have i gone with this you were talking about beetles genitalia and then you showed yeah, me some beetles beetle <laughs> so actually these aren't genitalia jobbies these are okay done based on the external morphology but there's so many that look so similar yeah you're, <laughs> you're you're kind of grimacing there aren't you no um, no no you but... go just ignore my face just you you just go you've got your flow you go for it and i'll, I'll try and make sense of whatever comes out your mouth you go for it so there's some that look so similar based on their external characters that the only way to tell two species apart is by looking at the internal structures and that comes down to genitalia so an entomologist frequently having discussions over lunchtime over coffee about certain genitalia that they've been looking at down the microscope and who they are pretty impressive who discovered that who thought 
let's let's open up this Beatles bits. <laughs> and oh, hang on a minute, this one's got different bits to that one. It's got to be a different species. I don't know. I don't know who it was, but it was a good idea. Um, no, I'm has... not knocking it. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm not knocking it. I'm just curious. <laughs> it's a yeah. It's a it's a weird one, but it's become very very common practice, and um, yeah. it is important. It we need that accurate identification if we want to know what we're looking at and if we want to therefore know what species are occurring in particular areas you know if we want if we want to know anything to stand a chance at protecting them we really need that proper identification that reliable identification so unfortunately we still do need to take specimens and it's not across all groups you know there are you know the macro moths and butterflies that we don't need to collect anymore photography is perfectly good at um you know cap- capturing those records but now what we're seeing is you know these other uses of the collections so we can permit destructive sampling which is then going to tell us what's happening on the genetic level not yeah. just the distributions um and that's pretty impressive too so collections still have such an important place in science um and in conservation um they underpin conservation because without that taxonomy without the classification you know what we're in a right pickle there yeah um so really really important but i understand and fully appreciate that this kind of process um is upsetting to a lot of people you know and it's not something that we take lightly all of us that are in this field we love insects and it's kind of this necessary evil that we have to do um in order to um study the animals that we love um it's getting okay. it across isn't it yeah. to to a wider audience because i um i'm i'm doing a thing at the minute where i'm posting a different fish each day and one of the really rare ones is called a vendace and the only picture i have is of a dead one because i went along to a survey and they collect some and a lot of them mm. end up dying but they send them off for sampling so they work out what's in their gut what are they eating have they yeah. got any um heavy metals in their body and the only way they can take those samples is from dead ones but because the only picture i have is a dead one People are like, oh, why? What's it doing on the ground? Why? Why is it like that? And then you have to say, no, no, it's because it's a scientific thing. But yeah, it's it's trying yeah. to get it across to people. And like, yes, it's a shame. Obviously, it's not nice that it's dead. But there is valuable data that you're only going to get from that specimen, which can go on to do greater good for that species. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just trying you put to it way better than I could. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the other thing is with insects as well. They are being the bottom of the food chain. They are used to being predated on so you Mm. see an entomologist as just another kind of predator right and a healthy population of a species is able to perfectly well withstand predation of birds and various other animals so taking a couple of specimens for science to then ultimately learn more about that species or that particular population um, and try to protect it um, is is absolutely fine in my eyes um, yeah, I don't I, condone I, collecting for other reasons. It should always be for scientific yeah. reasons. Um, the kind of art side of things really gives me the ick. Um, it's all over Etsy, isn't it? Oh, I it's hate weird. it. It's weird. It's all Instagram over... too. Yeah, Is there's it? a lot of um, kind of taxidermy insects for sale. Yeah, which I suppose if they're historical, then I guess it's already done. But then how how do you prove? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, a funny mm. one, isn't it? With with all that sort of stuff. Um, so. What I mean, you're, I guess you're pigeonholed with beetles and bugs and things, but are you interested in the wider scope of of nature in a whole or is it mainly the kind of many-legged things? 
Yeah, no, I am. I've always, I've always loved nature. Like since I was a kid, I just absolutely love being outside, whether that was poking around in a pond for frogs or, um, yeah, I've always, always, always loved being outdoors. Um, insects, I did go through a phase of like having a bit of an ick about them, I guess my early teens or something. And I didn't really like them. It was really the forensics that kind of brought me back around. Right. Okay. Um, but embarrassingly i never really got into birds and that was a bit of a lockdown thing so now i'm i'm, I'm a bit of a fan of birds okay um, and i'll actually spend some of my time now out with a pair of binoculars instead of uh insect net <laughs> i think you know again, there's worse things there's worse the, things in life. but it's caused a bit of um a bit of um people to raise some opinions actually like some of my entomology pals have been like Ashley what are you doing but to be honest I think the the danger of when you do your hobby and your passion as your job it loses that fun sometimes and I really was getting that way where I felt like oh I'm gonna have to spend more time at the microscope at home like need to work on my ID skills and like this pressure to kind of be spending unlimited time just on entomology um so when lockdown came around i actually yeah got into birds and it was a really refreshing break so it's something that i've kind of kept up with um and i guess it's kind of like a bit of mindfulness like just going yeah, out on a walk no, and sailing into the birds rather than i mean don't get me wrong i still also get in a very happy place when i find a really good beetle um, yeah but only when it's you know organically and like I'm doing it because I want to, not because I feel pressured, like because I need to get to learn that particular genus of beetles instead yeah. of Italia for two hours. No, I, I get you completely because I'm a bit like that with um, the filming fish and whatnot, which I love, obviously love doing. But yeah, I'll go out um, when I'm walking my dogs or um, I was at Ham Wall the other day looking at starling murmuration. And I, just, I didn't bother taking my camera, I just took the bins and just enjoyed it. It's not very good, you know, same with wildlife cameraman to not film wildlife, but it's nice occasionally to just breathe it in and yeah. and look at all that so yeah i'm the same really i i like birds but i'm not birdie birdie like if 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 a, if an interesting thing turns up i'll go and have a look if wax wings or something with a bit of flair i'll go check it out <laughs> if it's a little brown jobby i'm i'm okay i'm all good <laughs> I'm not too fussed but no the birds are good for sure um well before we go and i feel like i already know the answer to this but i'll ask you anyway have you got a favorite oh no yeah, I mean, it's a favourite group. It's the carrion beetles. Yeah. But there are so many, so many cool insects out there. It is very hard. And it is, I could never pick a species of carrion beetle because it's basically like if you were a parent and someone's asking you to pick <laughs> a favourite child and I wouldn't want okay. them to know. I wouldn't want them to feel upset. <laughs> no, no, no. They could be listening. Um, they might be, yeah. yeah. But, you know, there are there are tons of other cool beetles too. Like I really, I love tortoise beetles. Um the glow ones are pretty beetle. up there. What's that? I cannot, if you're not seeing a tortoise beetle, right? Never you need heard to add that tortoise. to your list. Okay, well, we get, we, that's a UK species. Yeah, we've okay. got several. Um, so your list then, what have you got? You've got pseudoscorpions. Yeah. You need to see some of these little dung beetles, I think. And yeah. Obviously, you need a carrion beetle. Yeah. But now we're adding tortoise beetles. Okay, well, we're so... going to be very busy next year. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but don't worry, they'll be easy to tick off. Okay. So tortoise beetles um, are a type of leaf beetle. So they're plant feeding. They feed on the surface of the leaf. And actually, they make some really characteristic damage on some leaves. So that, okay. that helps you when you're trying to locate them. So some of them feed on thistles. Um, and so there's one that I actually found a couple of times this year and got some 
pictures finally of um of the larvae because that's the really interesting bit the adults are cool they're usually green so they match the kind of leaf color um, okay. to camouflage um and they're um this kind of perfect shape where they can kind of anchor down to the leaf um and they're nice and flush with the leaf edge so that no predators can kind of get in and prize them off um but the larvae are way cooler because they <laughs> they have a fecal shield or as I like to call it a poop umbrella so what they do is they have these spines all over the body and when they defecate they cut the feces gets piled up on their back right. um, and it forms this little layer of frass of, of insect poo yeah. which acts as a shield um, and also a bit of camouflage so that predators don't find them and eat them just amazing so it's some sharp, of them can even have like poo. um sharp poo yeah no like it's got like spikes did you say so there's spikes on the lava which helps oh, on the, the lava sorry like, okay i was on. picturing a big spiky poo but yeah okay right okay <laughs> i mean it, it's not smooth it yeah it's no, kind okay. of it has got a texture to it for sure who but, knew um, that this conversation would lead to this uh beetles pooing on themselves poo. for protection yeah yeah <laughs> they're not the only ones there are some other beetles there are pot beetles also a type of leaf beetle that make little poo, little poo pots um to live in as well yeah there's oh, loads yeah. going on with beetles how did evolution come up with that it's incredible isn't it <laughs> it is well, mad. am i just going to waste this material well i think i could do something no with it. no yeah it, it's it's incredible really <laughs> it's they, so great all the, yeah. i've just googled toy toys um beetle i might have seen one i do recognize there's a really mm. green shiny one and I yeah. feel like I might have seen a. I don't know if I've seen one in the flesh. I've definitely seen photos of them, so I do now know what you mean. But um, they look awesome. Very cool. cool. They are pretty cool yeah. things. Well, you've definitely kind of infused me to go and look for some beetles because it should oh, be good. wrong time. I mean, because it's the end of Jan. Uh, not, end yeah, of you've got to you've got to bottle up that enthusiasm and bring it out in spring. I can do. Yeah, no, I will do. Yeah. I'll, I've got a bottle <laughs> somewhere in there. I'll, I'll shove it in there, and I will definitely come out. But I'm, I'm well up for that. It'd be great to see some. Yeah, would be epic. I'll check in with you in spring and make sure that no, you do, on the do, hunt. do, because I, I, I would like to do it. I'm trying to broaden my natural history horizons. Like I went out batting a few months ago, really enjoyed that, and I've never done anything with batting. Bats is that is that actually what it's called? No, I'm calling it. I don't know what they call it. Bat, <laughs> batting sounds good, doesn't it? I don't know what. Bat, I like look, it. Yeah, yeah, batting. We'll call it batting. I'll coin it and and yeah. and bird ringing and whatever. So I'm trying to kind of get into more of these nature niches so i'm well up for it no I'll, I'll, let's do it let's do it for sure brilliant awesome well look well thanks for coming on ash oh no thank you it's been a pleasure to meet you even if it's just virtually for now. exactly um, yeah nice one. Good night. <laughs> take care all right cheers jack well that was ashley whiffin that was absolutely fantastic i'm always enthused to talk about subjects that i don't necessarily know a huge amount so that was really good i'll definitely take her up on that offer i would love to go out beetling or whatever the the term is to go looking for beetles there's some amazing looking uh, beetles in the uk and i'd love to just see them and get a few pictures as well be be fantastic now if you want to help the podcast out one of the things you can do is leave a review we really appreciate that it does help us get bumped up in the search ratings and if you want to follow us on social media we're on twitter at titbearded and on facebook the bearded tits podcast you can also follow me on instagram at fish twitcher and head over to our youtube channel Jack Perks Wildlife Media. Now next week I've got guest Alex Mustard on the podcast. Alex is a leading underwater photographer, arguably one of if not the best in the world. He's a phenomenal photographer. I've been very lucky to know Alex for a number of years now. So we're going to be talking all about underwater photography, 
how he does it, his process for doing it, things he enjoys, maybe things he doesn't enjoy so much, and just get into underwater photography. Something I know a little bit about myself as well. So I'm looking forward to chatting to Alex about that. This has been the Bearded Tits podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers.